On November 10th, 2005, the Kalamazoo Promise was introduced in a Kalamazoo school board meeting. Now, the Kalamazoo Promise is a pledge, a promise, a guarantee uh, put together by a group of anonymous donors who are offering to pay for part of or all of the tuition for students who attend and graduate from Kalamazoo Public Schools. That tuition money can go to pay for tuition at any of the public universities in the state of Michigan. That was in 2005. Now, what I think so interesting about that is that this was a promise that was being made to a community, uh, to teachers, to a school district, and especially to students, a promise about a blessing that was going to come in the future. What I think so fascinating is there have been, since it's been, what, 14 years since that promise was introduced, there's been a number of things that have uh, happened that I think are really intriguing and interesting. One of them, 2015, Time Magazine wrote an article about the Kalamazoo promise. And what they found was is that students as young as kindergarten were already beginning to talk about going to college because of this pledge for their tuition. And as a result, they were seeing benefits in the present, even though the money wasn't coming for the future, that those students began to think of themselves as going to college, and that showed and resulted in academic benefits now, in spite of the fact that it hadn't yet arrived. The other thing that I thought was interesting is in the same year, the Upjohn Institute uh, commissioned a study, so I'm guessing 2015, it was sort of a 10-year uh, look back at how effective this had been. What that study found was that after those students had gone off to college and the money had provided for their tuition, those students did better in college than their comparative peers, which again, I thought was fascinating. The money had already been paid at that point, and yet the benefits continued on. And here what you have with this Kalamazoo promise is you have a group of anonymous, generous donors who graciously made a promise about the future. That promise about the future began to transform students' present experience, and that transformed present experience had benefits for the future. Pretty cool. As you think about it, not only is that cool, it's actually a fantastic example of what God is up to. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to try to understand better about how God's promises for the future affect us in the present, and by so doing, affect what will happen in the future. So if that's not confusing, take a Bible and turn to the book of Titus, Chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 965. Last week we introduced a new sermon series in the book of Titus. I really should have said that the first three sermons are introductory sermons. What we're going to be doing is a topical series, and Titus is going to be picking the topics for us. But the first three sermons, we are in the book of Titus, 
And we're going to be uh, using these to kind of set up and understand better what this book is about and what it is we're talking about and thinking about this year. We began last week in verse 1, which says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And last week we made the point that although God is in control of all things, our lives sometimes feel out of control. God's response to that is godliness. Godliness is a way of living life so that God's control of all things begins to impact us where we live. And Paul says the goal here is not knowledge or truth, but godliness. The knowledge and truth is supposed to result in a different way of living life, a way of living life that brings the blessings and control of God to bear on our fears, on our struggles, on our suffering, on our difficulties in this life in which we live. Well, look now with me at verse 2. After he says the truth that leads to godliness, Paul continues, in the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie, and what's this next word? Promised before the beginning of time. Now what's so fascinating about this is that Paul is wanting to talk about godliness in the present. He's wanting to talk about how we behave now, But in doing so, he starts talking about what is coming in the future. It's not just here that he does it. Turn over to chapter 2 in the book of Titus. Look with me at verses 11 to 13. This is our benediction for the year. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But then look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, our present godliness, how we live here and now, right now, is intimately connected with what is coming in the future. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the what? Hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Every time Paul mentions godliness in Titus, he ties it to what is coming in the future. And what we want to do this morning is understand the relationship between what God has promised about the future and what's supposed to be happening in the present 
because these two things are intimately connected. So what I want to tell you is two things about this. First, our promised future makes present godliness possible. Our promised future makes present godliness possible. In the Kalamazoo promise, when these donors said, we're going to pay for your college, what happened was, is that a number of students for whom college hadn't been been even on their mind at all, because it wasn't even possible, now suddenly began to think, I might be college bound. And as a result, even as young as kindergarten, according to Time magazine, students began to think about themselves as having the ability to go to college. The result of that was, is it began to change their behavior in the present. They began to study. They began to prepare. They began to plan to go to college because college was now possible. This is actually how promise works in general. Take, for example, a couple that's dating. Maybe they've been dating for some time. Imagine then the moment in which they get engaged. What is engagement? It's a promise. It's a promise that we're going to get married. And what happens when a couple gets engaged? It's not long before they start acting more like a married couple. Perhaps they start doing their budget together. Maybe they start thinking about where they're going to live after they get married. One of them might already move into that place and they might decorate it together because they're going to be living there together in the future. They may begin to reprioritize their relationships and think, well, we're going to be married. We need to make sure this relationship is the most important relationship of all the ones that we have. What's happening? Their future married selves are affecting how they live in the present. So it is with us. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That's what we're talking about, how to live godly lives. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious what? Promises. So that through them, through these promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter is saying, in order to live a godly life, God made us promises about the future. Well, what kind of promises? Promises like, when Jesus returns, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Promises like, God has promised that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. We will become like Jesus. Promises like, he will cause you and I, if you are a believer in Jesus, to be holy and blameless on the day of Christ. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine Jesus returning and us being declared to be holy and blameless? Promises like that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. That the future he's promised for us is a glorious future. That our sufferings in this life are winning for us eternal glory, transforming us, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. These are promises about the future. But he made them to affect the present. When the people gave money for the Kalamazoo promise, they didn't keep it a secret. They didn't wait until the students got ready for college and say, oh, by the way, guess what? You're going to get some tuition money. They announced it early on. Why? Because they're wanting to affect behavior now. This is what God has done. He has announced these promises to us so that he can affect our behavior today. How does this work? Well, suppose that you have an addiction to food. Or imagine you have an addiction to sex. Or an addiction to anger. Or to gossip. You may have had this long enough. And you may have seen the power of this enslaving sin enough to think to yourself, I'm always going to be addicted. This is always going to be a part of my life. And all your experiences or my experiences up to this point has taught us this thing is too big for me. It will always dominate who I am. Watch what God does. He speaks into that situation and says, I promise you, you will be like Jesus. I promise you, you will be holy and blameless. I promise you, I will sanctify you through and through. Now, one response might be, sweet. All that stuff's going to work out just fine. I'm going to keep eating whatever I feel like eating. I'm going to keep engaging in whatever sexual activity I want to engage in. I'm going to give way to angry outbursts whenever I feel like doing it. I'm going to gossip however I feel like doing it. And when Jesus comes, he'll take care of everything in the future. That is a possibility. You can do that. It's not wise. I don't recommend it. But that is one possible reaction to the news that God has promised you you're going to be different. But let me give you another reaction. What if you said... Well, if I'm not going to be enslaved to this stuff in the future, why not start living that way now? See, the great lie Satan tells us is that we're never going to be free. God's promise contradicts that lie and says, there is coming a day you're going to be free. You are going to be free of these things. And the purpose of him telling us that is that we can begin to live that way now. What if we decided to no longer be enslaved to those things? Our future is such that we are not going to be enslaved to them. And God's point is, why not live that way now? His future promise 
makes possible godliness today. And just like those students in the Kalamazoo Promise, they weren't yet in college. College hasn't yet been paid for by them, but the promise of a future causes them to think of themselves as college-bound today, and they are now free to make choices that will help them in the future. I don't know all the people in the Kalamazoo public school system. I'm going to bet you a good number of them are not making good choices. But studies have shown there are a good number of them who now realize college is possible. I can make different choices today. God's saying the same thing to us. Because of what he's promised about the future, you and I can make different choices today. Our promised future makes present godliness possible. The second thing I want us to understand, our present godliness promises a better future. Our present godliness promises a better future. Again, what that Upjohn Institute study revealed was is the students who had been promised tuition money started, some of them, started thinking of themselves as being college-bound, which changed their study habits and their skills and their outlook and their identity. And as a result, they had better study habits. And they engaged better in the academic community. When they got to college, even after the money had been paid, they still saw future benefits. And the present godliness promised a better future. The Bible says something very similar. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale. Rather, what? Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself, discipline yourself, teach yourself to live life now the way it's supposed to be lived. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding what? Holding what? Promise for both the present life and the life to come. Think about physical exercise for a moment. Some of us may not have thought about physical exercise for a long time. But think about it with me for a moment. You may or may not like physical exercise. I do not particularly enjoy it. But Paul says it's got some value. Why do people exercise? Well, it's because we're hoping we can craft for ourselves a slightly better future than what we have today. We're hoping that we get in better shape. We're hoping that our future self uh, might weigh less than our current self. Uh, We're hoping that we might sleep better at night. We're hoping that we might uh, protect ourselves from injuries and ailments and those sorts of things going forward. And that's true, and that's why God says physical exercise has some value. But notice what he says about godliness. Godliness has more value. Why? It's because there's no promises made about physical exercise. You could be fanatical about physical exercise. You could exercise religiously. 
but you still might end up getting sick or injured or dying young. God has not made any promises about physical exercise. He has not promised that if you exercise regularly, you will live a long life. That is not promised to us. But notice what it says about godliness. There are promises that go with godliness, and the promises that go with godliness are these. If you choose to live a godly life now, it has blessing in this life. You begin to experience God's control here and now. For the student that was going to go off to college, it begins to make their third grade year or their fifth grade year or their 10th grade year better even before college comes along because by thinking of themselves as a college-bound student, they act differently in the present and that has blessings for them in school. That's godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life. Where else has God made promises about godliness? For the future, for the life that is to come. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus returns to this earth and sets up his kingdom on this earth, he is going to evaluate how you and I lived our lives during this present life. And for those who embraced godliness, there will be a reward. There will be different levels of assignment. There will be different experiences in Christ's millennial kingdom on this earth. And the point is, if you choose godliness, if you train yourself to be godly, you will experience benefits in this life and when Jesus returns. Those are promises that God has made. And somehow, God who is this gracious, generous, kind donor, has promised us a future. When he did that, he made present godliness possible. And present godliness, if you and I choose it, promises a better future. So what should we do in light of this truth? Three things. Number one, as we go through this series, as we talk about what it means to be godly, as we talk about how to live in a technological world, how to deal with food, how to handle relationships, as we talk about those kinds of things, you and I should spend more time thinking about our future and less time thinking about our past. Those who dwell on the past are dominated by the past. God is not talking about our past. He is talking about our future. He ties godliness in the present to what is coming in the future. And the more you and I focus and think about what's coming in the future, the more it will affect and bless the present. Again, consider an engaged couple. If that engaged couple spends all their time thinking about previous relationships or thinking about what life was like when they were single, how do you think their engagement is going to go? Poorly. If instead they spend more time thinking about what it's going to be like when they're married, where they're going to live, how they're going to interact, what their relationships with other people are going to be, that will bring their future self into the present and make their current engagement better. 
And God is saying to us, the more time you and I spend thinking about the past, who we were, what we've done wrong, what we've been like, all the different ways that sins have dominated us, the more we'll continue to be dominated by the past. If instead we make a choice when it comes to technology or food or faithfulness or any subject we're going to cover, if we spend more time thinking about who are we going to be in the future, what is God going to do with us, how is he going to transform us, our present will be different because of that. Number two, understanding the relationship between the present and the future and how they interact makes sense of what our role in godliness is and what God's role in godliness. One of the problems when you talk through how to live life as a Christian is, well, what stuff is God's responsibility and what stuff is my responsibility? Like, what am I supposed to be doing and what's God supposed to be doing? Understanding this framework gives an answer to that question. And the answer goes something like this. Imagine a river with a strong current. When God promised that you and I would end up like God, we would end up like Jesus, that we would end up godly, he basically said, this river is going to that sea. The current is now flowing in that direction. Once God promises about the future, it's going to happen. And the flow of the river is in that direction. You and I now have a choice. We can either swim against the current or we can swim with it. In whatever subject, in whatever area of life, you now have a choice. God has said, you and I are heading towards godly. You can choose to fight that. You can choose to swim the other direction. You can choose to say, but I want to stay addicted to food. I want to stay addicted to sex. I want to stay addicted to gossip. I want to stay addicted. You can swim against the current. It's super exhausting. It's why when you're doing those things, it doesn't feel like this is what life is supposed to feel like. It's why when you do those things, it feels like you're dying and it feels like everybody around you who's a Christian is going a different direction. That's because the flow of the river is headed that way. You and I now have a choice. We can swim with the river. It's still tiring. Swimming at, in general is tiring but it's a lot more productive. And so when you think about you and I becoming godly, what is God's role? His job is to set the direction of the river and to provide the energy and the power and the direction to go the right way. Our job is to choose whether we're going to fight him or we're going to yield to him and to simply swim the direction he's pushing us. Third thing, and finally, understanding promise, the present, the future, how all those interact, gives us the answer of what to do in the face of our fears. We heard fears stated this morning. I told you one of my deep abiding fears. You have your own fears. What do we do in the face of those fears? God makes us promises. 
Now, the thing about a promise is it's not fully come to reality yet. On Wednesday, when the Lord said, I will not leave you or forsake you, I will help you when you preach the sermon. I hadn't preached the sermon yet. What do you do on Wednesday? Well, you got a choice. You can either give way to fear or you can hold on to the promise. What God does, our promised future makes godliness in the present possible, which means you and I now have a choice. You have a choice to be afraid or not to be afraid. What promises do is they simply give us the opportunity to choose to believe. They haven't happened yet. The promises God has made for us about the future have not yet fully come to pass, which leaves us in a quandary. God has said, when you walk through the water, you will not drown. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. God has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has said, what can humans do to you? I'm in charge of all things. God has said, I will be near the brokenhearted. God has made us very great and precious promises, and what that does for us is not solve all our problems what it does is give us a choice you can either choose to be afraid or you can choose to believe all the fears that you heard this morning the fear I talked about the fear in your own heart they're all about the future how's this going to work itself out Into those situations, God does not simply wave his hand and make the problems go away. What he does is speak promises. That's why Paul says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, at that moment, we're all faced with the reality of, you know what, it might not work out. 14 years and three months, week after week, God's given me what I'm supposed to say. But this week, maybe this is the week he doesn't show up. And you come back and you say, it's Wednesday. I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. And you got a choice. You can either choose to believe or you can choose to be afraid. This is why God says, do not be afraid. The command implies the choice. He doesn't say, praise the Lord, you're no longer afraid. I got lots of fears. You got lots of fears. But into those fears, God speaks his promises. And you and I now have a choice to be afraid or not to be afraid. And Paul says, this God who's promised to take care of you, this God who's promised that your future is already set and it is better than anything you could ever hope for or imagine, this God who has promised that every single thing that happens to you or I, good or bad, he will work together for good, this God who has promised that even though people in this world mean us harm, he will use it for good, This God who has promised, I will get you to that day and you will be holy and blameless. I will keep you from stumbling. I will draw near to you. When you run away, I will chase after you. The God who says all these things, Paul says, he does not lie. He has the power to do it and he will do it. Hebrews 6 goes even further to say, God cannot lie. 
It's not within his nature. And when God, needing to swear by somebody, who's God going to swear by? He swears by himself. His own existence rests on him fulfilling his promises. And so what we want God to do is in the midst of our fears to just simply snap his finger and have everything go away. That's coming. But it's not here now. And so into the midst of our fears, he whispers his promises. And what do we do in a world that feels like it's spinning out of control? We're going to talk about specific things you need to do that help us live godly lives. But most important of all is that out-of-control feeling creates fear. And into the fear, God whispers the promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. When you walk through the water, you will not drown. You may stumble, but you will not fall. You may be persecuted, but you will not be destroyed. You may suffer under the enslavement to sin, but I will win out in the end. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.